It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, September 8th, 2023. I'm Jennifer Griffin. In my exclusive interview with retired four-star Marine General Frank McKenzie, the former head of U.S. Central Command, who oversaw the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, he says two years later, the decision to leave haunts him. I believe history is going to view the decision to come out of Afghanistan in the way that we did and the manner that we were directed to come out. Uh, as a fatal flaw, and I think history is going to be very hard on that. This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Hey folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. In an exclusive interview with Fox News, General Frank McKenzie, the former head of CENTCOM, told me he has regrets about America's 2021 withdrawal from Afghanistan. But he says there was no specific intelligence describing the suicide bomber who eventually killed 13 Americans at Abbey Gate. General McKenzie contradicts Marine sniper Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews, who believes he had the bomber in his sights and was denied permission to shoot. I requested engagement authority while my team leader was ready on the M110 semi-automatic sniper system. The response, leadership did not have the engagement authority for us. Do not engage. Didn't happen, according to General McKenzie. He also contradicts a new book that claims then-Major General C.D. Donahue of the 82nd Airborne turned down a request to carry out a drone strike on a hotel where ISIS-K and the bomber were believed to be staging. General McKenzie said... That's not true. I have a lot of regrets about uh, about how it ended in Afghanistan. We are speaking with General Frank McKenzie, retired U.S. CENTCOM commander, about the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. I have a regret with a basic decision, which I think was the wrong decision, and I have a and I particularly regret that we did not choose to begin to evacuate our people, our embassy personnel, our American citizens, and our at-risk Afghans at the time we made the decision to bring out our combat forces. I think that was a serious mistake, and I think that led to the events of August 21st. 
2021 directly. In March, we heard testimony from Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews, a Marine sniper at Abbey Gate. He's now a double amputee. He testified under oath that he believed he saw a person who matched the description of the Abbey Gate suicide bomber. The intelligence said the bomber was clean shaven, wearing a black backpack with three yellow arrows on it and traveling with an older companion. Here's Sergeant Vargas Andrews. I requested engagement authority while my team leader was ready on the M110 semi-automatic sniper system. The response, leadership did not have the engagement authority for us. Do not engage. Is that true? First of all, I honor his sacrifice and everybody else who got injured or killed as a result of the Abbey Gate attack. But I can tell you there was no uh, be on the lookout for a person meeting that description on that day or prior to that day in Afghanistan. Uh, further, I would go uh, to the point of saying that the rules of engagement give any individual or any unit commander the right to defend themselves if they feel threatened. Is it possible there was confusion and he asked his commander to target this individual? Is he misremembering? What's happening? Well, I don't know. And again, I can't interpret uh, beyond the, the clip that you just played. But what I can say with a degree of assurance is there was no description of a bomber uh, meeting, meeting the description that you just uh, played that day or the day prior in and around Kabul. What was the intelligence before the attack? How specific was it? Did you know that a bomber was staging somewhere? So the day of the attack and the day prior, we, we were dealing with four significant threats. We were dealing with a threat of a vehicle-borne IED, a car with a bomb in it that we thought was, was being worked to attack us. We were dealing with the possibility of a suicide vest attack, but without specific description of the person. We were dealing with the possibility of an indirect fire attack, either rockets or mortars. And then we were dealing with the possibility of an insider attack, someone who got past our screening, who would then have the opportunity perhaps to get on an airplane, detonate a bomb, causing hundreds of casualties. So those are the threats that the commanders on the ground were actively working that day. So there was no attempt to stop Sergeant Vargas Andrews from targeting a suicide bomber? Well, frankly, I, I can't speak for exactly what happened down on the ground between the sergeant and his team leader and, and the battalion commander. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that there was no intelligence to support the assertion that we knew the, what the bomber looked like, that he was carrying a backpack with three yellow stripes. There was just none of that. We just did not have that intelligence. How do you explain that he thinks he remembers it so clearly? So I can't explain that. All I can tell you is the intelligence that was in, in play at that time, and I'm pretty confident of that. We've also heard a lot lately from the families of the servicemen and women who were killed at Abbey Gate. They were invited to Capitol Hill by Republican lawmakers. They feel military leaders, including you, have not been transparent with them. Here are some of their complaints. How could it just be acceptable that our snipers cannot get an immediate and straight answer from their commanding officer? When they asked McKenzie, did your guys have any opportunity to kill the suicide bomber before August 26th, he stated no. We now know that they were tracking him for up to 30 days before the incident and even asked the Taliban to go where he was staying at and raid it, which they didn't. Upon the moment of attack, Tyler Andrews stated that he had watched the bomber from way back at the beginning of the line early in the morning, which have taken hours before he had reached his authorization point and continually asked for engagement authority, which he never got. The response? Well, of course, it would have been hard to track him for up to 30 days before because the prisons were uncovered much sooner uh, to the date of the attack than that. But I can tell you that we just didn't have that fidelity of information on the individual 
uh, on uh, the, the fact that he was clean shaven or uh, characteristics like that. We just didn't have that information. Did you have intelligence that the suicide bomber or members of ISIS-K were gathering in a hotel near Kabul airport? Did you or CD Donahue, General Donahue, or Admiral Pete Vaisley ask the Taliban to raid the hotel, and did they say no? So there were a variety of targets that we passed to the Taliban to take a look at, uh, more than 10. Uh, some they did, some they didn't action. We have nothing specific about a hotel that we asked them to take a look at. Just that we just don't have, I just don't have that information. Do you think the Taliban let the suicide bomber through intentionally? I don't believe so. Based on the investigation that we did afterward, I don't believe so. And I further believe that other attacks were prevented by the fact that we had the Taliban operating outside the wire. And there was a downside to the Taliban being out there, too, in that people that we wanted to get through had trouble getting through. And that's just the, that's just the, the difficult equation you've got to solve when you're trying to balance force protection against the desire to get people out of Afghanistan. Do you regret cutting that deal with the Taliban to have them provide security outside the perimeter? I do not regret cutting that deal and I feel had we not done so, our casualties would have been significantly higher. Do you believe these families are being used as political pawns? Really not for me to say. I feel their pain. I understand the nature of the loss that they have suffered. Uh, my son went to Afghanistan twice. I was one of the lucky ones. He came home both times. But I can imagine the void it would have created in my life had my son been killed in Afghanistan. So I, I have tremendous respect for the suffering that they've gone through and for the other 2,400-plus Marine soldiers, sailors, airmen that died in Afghanistan as well. There was intelligence that there would be a possible suicide bomber on August 26. Why was Abbey Gate left open that day? So there was intelligence that every day that there were suicide bombers. The 26 was not unique in that, uh, you know, in that regard. We had intelligence going back several days that suicide bombers, the four different attack streams that we sort of mentioned, vehicle-borne, suicide vests, and a couple of other modalities that could have occurred. So we were looking at them every day, and it went up and down based on the day. Abbey Gate was open uh, because it was one of the few, one, the only location where we could sort of bring people in directly. Uh, we'd gone to the other gates in a system where we scheduled and tried to bring people in through coordination of, of outside movements. But Abbey Gate gave us the opportunity to bring people in, and we were trying to bring some final UK personnel in from the Barron Hotel located just outside the wire as well. So that was the reason Abbey Gate was open on this day. And the British asked you to keep it open a the little The British longer. did ask us to keep it open. A new book by author Jerry Dunleavy and James Hassan says there was also a request for a drone strike to be carried out on a hotel where the bomber was believed to be. The request was allegedly turned down. Is that true? That is not true. How do you think history will treat the withdrawal and President Biden's decision to bring all U.S. troops home from Afghanistan? Well, I hope history will divide it into sort of two bends. I think the men and women on the ground did a remarkable job. I think the Joint Force did a did a, uh, did a very brave uh, and resilient job on the ground of trying to get as many people out as they can. I believe history is going to view the decision to come out of Afghanistan in the way that we did and the manner that we were directed to come out uh, as a fatal flaw. And I think it, history is going to be very hard on that. Is there anything you could have done differently? You always look back anytime you lose people and you wonder if you could have done things differently. And I, I am haunted by that. I think about it quite a bit. It's one of the many regrets that I have. I examine everything we did. I think about it, particularly in the month of August of every year for the rest of my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about this very hard. In your opinion, should the U.S. still have troops in Afghanistan today from a national security perspective? That was my recommendation then. I see no reason to change that recommendation now. 
The current head of CENTCOM, your successor, said in March ISIS was six months away from a foreign attack capable of targeting U.S. interests. That six months is now. So I think I'll defer to General Carrillo uh, on that. He's in a position to look at that intelligence, which I no longer see. But we felt that completely coming out of Afghanistan would result in the collapse of the Afghan government, which it did. It would give rise to ungoverned spaces, put the Taliban in charge, and would allow ISIS room to regenerate. And so I would have to think Eric is probably seeing things that makes him think that natural, that natural, understandable, predictable progression is now occurring. And that over-the-horizon capability, is that a real thing? Well, you know, I've said in a couple of different venues that it's not impossible. It's very hard. I believe we've taken one strike since August of 2021. And so I would define that. That's an example of, I think, about as, uh, about as hard as it could be. We've been speaking with General Frank McKenzie, the former CENTCOM commander who oversaw the withdrawal from Afghanistan. More after this. Didn't the Abbey Gate bomber come from Bagram prison, and do you regret leaving those prisoners there, some were ISIS, others al-Qaeda, when you pulled out of Bagram? Well, they were under control of the Afghan government. Uh, it would have been very difficult to actually extract them and bring them out. It would have been a policy decision, not a military decision, and we did not get a decision to do that. What would have happened if you had stayed past the August 31st deadline and tried to get more Afghans who helped the U.S. out of Afghanistan? I think the Taliban would have turned on us. We know that. They were explicit about saying that. We had until the 31st. And after that, I think they would have uh, probably operated against us a little bit like ISIS. I think we would have been in a large, more complex fight. And I think there would have been significantly more casualties had we stayed beyond the 31st. Do you blame the State Department for delays that led to the chaos we saw at the airport? I think the State Department tried very hard. I think there were capacity issues in terms of the number of consular officials that they could provide. I also think no ambassador in any country wants to declare a non-combatant evacuation operation because it is a patented mission of failure. So I think ambassadors, and I've worked, I've done a number of NEOs over the course of my career, ambassadors want to stay on until the very end and often push that decision until you're in an, an extremist situation. I think that's what happened to us here. I think it's a case of uh, American exceptionalism or American arrogance depending on your perspective, to believe that you can actually withdraw, beaten from the field of battle, and still maintain a large political platform in the country you're, you're actually retreating from. Could those scenes at the airport have been avoided? If we had had more consular officials, things would have gone more smoothly. But I think I go back to the basic decision to wait so very late to begin to bring people out after we had already given away Bagram Airfield, after we had already drawn down to a very low footprint in the country. I think those were the decisions that led to the scenes at the airport in, uh, in Kabul. In your opinion, did the evacuation contribute to Putin's invasion of Ukraine? So that's, we'll never know for sure, but I would think he certainly drew certain conclusions from it that may have contributed to his, uh, to his aggressiveness in Ukraine. I think the Chinese may have drawn certain conclusions from it. The Iranians probably drew certain conclusions from it. In fact, everybody out there who, wishes us, who does not wish us well probably were heartened by what happened and drew some conclusions from it. Now, I would like to believe in the case of Ukraine, President Putin drew the wrong conclusions. Is the U.S. doing enough to arm Ukraine? What would you do differently to win in Ukraine? I think we have to keep a careful balance in Ukraine between what we give them to defend their country and avoiding the possible escalation to a larger war with a peer nuclear power. Uh, 
So I think, I think we've got it about right. I might choose to give them a little bit more of this, a little less of that. But I think in general, the administration's policy has been very reasonable. Finally, I'd like to ask you about the hold that Senator Tommy Tuberville has placed on military officers and their Senate confirmations. He says he's concerned about the Pentagon's abortion travel policy. 301 officers are now affected across all branches. There's no confirmed head of the Marine Corps, Navy, Army. What impact is this having? Well, the impact's been widely reported and, you know, by a number of different people. I think it's hard to run an organization. In the, in the Marine Corps, for example, which I know a lot about, a new commandant typically gets the opportunity to come in to, to, uh, to put out what we call the commandant's planning guidance to direct the course the Marine Corps is going to follow for the next four years. General Smith is unable to do that because he's not confirmed as the commandant of the Marine Corps, but his four-year clock is running. Uh, so his opportunity to, to influence the Marine Corps is going to be delayed until he's finally confirmed. That's true for the other services as well. It's not a good situation that, that you want to be in. And I, 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 you know, I, none of these officers have anything to do with the policy decisions that were made concerning this policy. It's, it's, it, this, is a, this is a policy decision made at the highest levels of the Pentagon by civilian leadership, not by the military people who are now bearing the brunt of the decision. What impact is it having lower down in the officer ranks as they look forward? Well, it's a trickle-down effect. It, uh, you know, things, things become sclerotic. It's harder to move forward. Uh, I think it will affect people's desire to think about how long they want to stay in the service. Are they going to be in it for the long haul? Because it's a long marathon, and if the aperture appears to narrow or freezes up for an extended period of time, that's going to affect people's calculus and, and also family calculus about whether or not you're going to stay in for the long term. So you could see a brain drain? You could. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if we're seeing that now. I'm just not in a position to judge that. Thank you, General McKenzie. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.